Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattleagin Broadcasting Premier Podcast. Damn you, Hollywood! And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! I used up all my good ones the other day when I when I broke Mark on the TV party intro. I'm not even looking at you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> good call. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Damn You Hollywood with our brand new title card. I'd like to thank one of our panelists this evening for that, Alexis Haina. Thank you very much, ma'am. How you doing? I'm doing good. Glad you liked it. For those of you who are only listening, sucks to be you. <laughs> True. <laughs> Another that voice you heard. Title card. I, I listen on a regular podcast. And the other voice you heard there is that of David Wright from the Canadian office, because we are talking one of the, we're doing a double shot tonight. There are two streaming movies we decided on one of which from last week or so was uh, Pixar's turning red. The other of which is the Disney plus abomination cheaper by the dozen. And we will get to that. Oh yes, we will. Yeah. By we, but, he means Mark. <laughs> but uh, since this was the Canadian Pixar film, and as one of my brothers said when I told him that was one of the descriptions about Pixar, he said, oh, why'd they have to make Canadians real? <laughs> All right. I, have, I have a weird the family. <laughs> Does your brother subscribe to the Cartoon Network theory that Canada just doesn't exist? No. No. Uh, I, don't know why, I don't know why that struck into his head, but it did, and he's... Again, I have... I love my brothers. They're weird. We're all weird. So David is with us. David, how the heck are you? I'm good, thanks. I was listening to Weird Al's uh, Canadian Idiot on the way in home from work today, so I'm pumped and ready to go. Good Isn't choice. that your national anthem? Uh, I prefer Canada's Really Big by the Arrogant Worms. Check it out. I'm taking my kids to go see Weird Al this summer. He's oh, about that. Out there you go. That is some quality parenting. I know. <laughs> so yeah, we we decided to do um, we were going to do Turning Red actually before I went on vacation and just ran out of time. So we figured, okay, let's book it for when I come back. But then we need another streaming movie because I am a even though we probably especially with the four of us here, we could have absolutely gone an hour, an hour and a half without having to add a second movie and not have money. But I am a with nothing a slave to structure and consistency. So I have like Don't we got to pick a second prison. Yes, um, <laughs> a jail. Thank you, a jail. <laughs> I'm aware. I, I, um, I do that to tweak you. So, yeah, um, when I saw that they were going to do the cheaper by the dozen thing, I'm like, look, it, it's it's one of those like cheap content things. Like people will talk about it. It's just like the Home Alone, Home Sweet Home Alone thing. I I have a need to do them be, to be part of the conversation that's happening with streaming film. But let's face it, <laughs> three of us are doing this against our will. And one of us is fleeing like Jacob. I mean, that's how bad this movie is. So yeah, well, one of us has to get on the road for an eight-hour drive to a convention tomorrow. I we we all envy you. 
All right, so no table setting tonight. We're going to jump right into turning red, the uh, the plot synopsis here. And I'm going to whip through this so that we can all have a chance to talk because there's a lot to talk about with this movie, even though uh, I think we all landed on its mid-tier Pixar. But I get, we'll get to that momentarily. In 2002, Maylin May Lee is a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian girl living in Toronto. She helps take care of the family's temple dedicated to their ancestor, Sun Yi, and works to make her strict, overprotective mother, Ming, proud. May hides her personal interests from Ming, such as the fact that she and her best friends, Miriam, Priya, and Abby, are fans of the boy band Four Town. Ming discovers May's crush on the local convenience store clerk and unintentionally embarrasses May in public, including in front of the school bully, Tyler. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Leads- uh, how many? I'll say when she does that, how many of us just kind of looked, just sat back and thought, well, I officially retract about 90% of the shit I said about my parents. Yeah. Um, which leads May to have a vivid nightmare involving red pandas. The next morning, May is transformed into a large red panda like you do. Metaphor. She hides from her parents and discovers that she only transforms when she is in a state of high emotion like the Hulk. Ming initially believes May is experiencing her first period, but of course, but finds out the truth when she further embarrasses May at school, causing May to transform and run home. Ming and Jin, May's father, explain that Sun Yi was granted his transformation to protect her daughters, and every female family member since has also transformed when they came of age. This has become inconvenient, to say the least, and dangerous, so the red panda spirit must be sealed in a talisman by a ritual on the night of the red moon. The next is, a month's, the next is in a month's time. May's friends discover her transformation but take a liking to it, uh, and May finds that concentrating on them helps control the red panda within her. Ming allows May to resume her normal life, but refuses to let May attend Four Towns' upcoming concert. The girls secretly raise money for the tickets at school, exploiting the popularity of May's red panda form. May agrees to attend Tyler's birthday party as the red panda to cover the last ticket. At the party, May discovers the concert will actually be on her ritual night. She becomes angry and attacks Tyler when he insults her family, scaring the other children. Ming discovers May's activities and accuses her friends of corrupting and taking advantage of her. May fails to come to her friend's defense because she's ashamed and afraid to stand up to her mother. May's grandmother, Wu Tang, ain't nothing to mess with, and her aunts come to assist her ritual to Ming's dismay. As May prepares herself, Jin finds videos she took of herself and the Red Panda with her friends, and she tells her she should not be ashamed of this side of her. During the ritual, as May's Red Panda form is about to be sealed, May decides to keep her powers like you do. She abandons the ritual to attend the concert at the Sky Dome with her friends, who forgive May for her actions at the party and discover Tyler is also a four-town fan, because of course he is. During her escape from the temple, May inadvertently damages her mother's talisman. Enraged, Ming transformed into a kaiju-sized red panda because, you know, Japan. And disrupts the concert, intending China. to take, whatever, take May back for, uh, by force. May and Ming argue about May's independence, and May accidentally knocks her mother out like you do. The rest of the family arrive to help. With the, the women power break their twerking. <laughs> yeah, buddy. The women break their talisman to use the red panda forms to help drag Ming into a new ritual circle. May's friends in Fort Town join in singing to complete the ritual, sending May, Ming, and the other women to the astral plane to join Doctor Strange. May reconciles with Ming and helps her mend her bond with Wu, who Ming accidentally scarred in anger at some point years ago before stealing her red panda form. The other women conceal their red pandas and new talisman, but May decides to keep hers, and Ming accepts that she is finding her own path. Later, May and her family help raise money to repair the Sky Dome. Ming and May's relationship has improved, and May balances her temple duties with her red panda is now an attraction. With time, with 
with time with friends now, including Tyler. All right, Alexis, what did you think of this mid-tier Pixar flick? It is mid-tier, but mid-tier Pixar, I would still say, is a few notches above what most other animation companies would be mid-tier. This is still a very enjoyable movie. The first third of it was kind of hard to get into, and I knew you guys were going to probably think the same thing, considering that I'm the only person in this group who actually went through being a 13-year-old girl. At least I think that's the case. I don't know. What if, if I identified as a 13-year-old girl? How dare you, madam? Don't, 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 don't assume my pronouns for me. <sighs> please continue thank you mark you're welcome um, thank you mark for doing that so i didn't have to <laughs> back at you um i like that this hey alexis is... don't get on don't get on, don't get on my case okay at least i didn't play a 20 minute dave Chappelle skit very true <laughs> <sighs> anyways no um this was a very well done film. Like I said, the first third's very hard to get into, but once the transformation picks up, takes place, the movie actually has a very good pace. It's very uh, keeps it going pretty well. I love how well defined the characters are, especially uh, May's friends. Looking at them in the trailer, you think these are going to be just bland kids and everything, but they are enjoyable. They're fun. They're well defined. I even like. It's a little thing that I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, Priya the Indian friend. Mm-hmm. She, when we first see her, she's reading what is obviously a twilight knockoff. And throughout the movie, you actually see her doing little things like sleeping like this. And it's like, she's obsessed with <laughs> vampires. And that's just, I, I remember noticing them like that is so adorable and a really great attention to a character detail. I love that. I understand a lot with May, the idea of wanting to respect your parents and, but wanting to be your own person whether or not you were a 13 year old girl or not, this is something I think we all identify with the idea of finally branching out and finding our own identities. And again, sending this in 2002, I honestly think it was a really smart idea. It helps for a lack of better words, kind of give it a timeless feel to it. I love that. She's got the Tamagotchi and I love how the Tamagotchi is used at the end to seal one of the pandas. That is, that's really cute. Uh, the use of the boy band music yeah i remember being obsessed with boy bands when i was younger i had a backstreet boy cd i fully confess so i know where the girls are going from with this whole how badly they want to go to this concert and see these guys i get that and i was worried the movie was going to fall into a lot of cliches that it didn't when may is essentially exploiting her panda self I was worried that was going to blow up in her face and she was going to feel ashamed later. It's like, I never should have done that. And I mean, that was going to be part of the lesson, not her right. mother's overprotective making her ashamed. But it doesn't. The movie celebrates that that's, who, that's part of who she is and she gets to embrace that. And that's not something we get to see a lot in movies nowadays. And I really like that message. So... Um, animation was great. We see a lot of visual effects and facial expressions that are very anime based, which was a little off putting, I think at first, but again, after the transformation with the panda scene, it starts to get a little bit, uh, more, not normal, but it just feels like it flows better after that. I think that they really did take some chances with doing some of those crazy anime eyes and mm-hmm. just, you get that one facial expression of her underneath the bed drawing the convenience store guy and just that weird little uh, smile. <laughs> <laughs> Which, 
person is very cute. The director for this took a lot of chances with that kind of stuff, and I think it works. Again, this is not going to stand up with the likes of Toy Story or Ratatouille or even Cars, for that matter. But for what Pixar does, I'm genuinely impressed. Dave, I want to go to you next, but if you wouldn't mind just sort of weighing in on the point that Robin and I talked about uh, after we were done with last night's review, we were just kind of chit-chatting, and we got on the topic of turning red, and one of the things we talked about was in the alternate universe where there's no unnamed virus of unknown origin, um, and Pixar is allowed to is allowed to continue to release films in theaters um, uh, without obstacles, uh, and they maintain their cachet, there was a question of, you know, would this have drawn an audience? Um, Robert and I, I'm going to put it to you very directly. Robert and I said, this feels like another episode of the Pixar show. Like, I'm for me, I'm not totally unhappy. I get the Pixar people are not thrilled about this, and I feel bad for them because they take a lot of pride in what they're doing and they want they want the feature spot on the big screen, and I get that. But I think in terms of quality, there's feature quality and then there's the Pixar show quality. And the Pixar show quality, I'm not crying that it's on Disney+. Plus. And I just kind of want to get your thoughts where you landed vis-a-vis Turning Red. You know, another episode of the Pixar show, or do you think this is up there with you know, the feature quality um, movies. Well, I'd say it's absolutely feature quality. Like, like as uh, Alexis mentioned, the animation is top notch. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, the way they're able to do the anime googly eyes in CG and make it work is, mm-hmm. you know, really impressive. And yeah, you know, it's, it's Pixar. Like they've, they've got this down, you know, better than a lot of studios have. You think this would have drawn a crowd? I Well, Yes, it would have drawn a crowd. The size of said crowd, I don't know. Like, I don't mm-hmm. see it as being like a huge mega hit, but I think it would right. have drawn an audience and would have probably oh, done well, okay. Well, to be well, clear, when hang Pixar on. hits, they hit a billion dollars. And I think that's what I'm trying to differentiate. There's the mid level Pixar that doesn't quite hit the billion, and then there's the billion dollar pictures. Go ahead, Robert, and then back to David. Well, I was just going to say, like, if, if you need another point of comparison, if we're hypothetically dealing with this movie getting a, a full theatrical release, is this uh, does this do appreciably better than Luca did hypothetically? If we're talking box off, if all we're talking about is box office returns, I think Luca would have done better than this. But also keep in mind what was being released at the same time. With all due respect to Turning Red, if it was released in the theaters right now, where we've got the Batman and other movies like that in theaters, it mm. was not going to draw enough of the movie going audience. Yeah, like it would have been released during you know Spider Man, No Way Home, still. <laughs> so being a force in in the theaters and uh, i think there would be a lot of market competition mm-hmm. well hang on turning red was always slated for march 11th it never had an earlier release date the relevant point that alexis made was the only movie that it's competitive with right now is batman but is not the batman audience different from the turning red audience I think way, the spider-man audience well the Sp- spider-man's out of the theaters now i think well, I think we can agree that at a bare minimum, it would have gotten to number two and the Jujutsu Kaisen movie would not have climbed right. to the number two spot <laughs> domestically. Well, I don't, I don't want to take away from David's time. So, you know, I just I wanted to kind of have that thought exercise about where do you think this would have this lands box office wise if we lived in that universe. But what did you think of the movie, Dave? Well, there were 10 bits. So 10 out of 10. Perfect. 
<laughs> okay. No, no, I'm just kidding. For, for those of you that don't know, Timbits are donut holes sold at Tim Hortons, like Canada's national donut breakfast coffee chain. It's kind yeah. of a national icon and institution. Let's go in here. And how well did this movie represent your country? I'd say pretty good. Um, like I haven't spent much time around Toronto. Definitely not as a you know, 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian girl in 2002. <laughs> yeah, didn't, we I, I, the, didn't we all go through that Chinese-Canadian oh, girl yeah. phase? Yeah, I, I was there more like in 1992 as, like, I don't know, a five-year-old on on a trip or something. But, uh, but yeah, as for Canadian life, I think it seemed to be pretty good. Like, the school seemed like a Canadian school, like, getting as well as I can remember. I got... It's kind of hard because there's not really this sort of exotic, unique Canadianness to Canada in many ways. Oh, like, not only that, when you like, when you stack it next to a, the U.S., Toronto it might as well be Minneapolis. You know, uh, uh, yeah, Minneapolis. Like I've been to Toronto. Other than because you know it's an Arctic tundra, they have to build their malls underground, like mole people. It seems like any other American city. There's nothing like uniquely Canadian about it. Yeah, it's, it's more in the little things like the use of the metric system instead of right. imperial, the presence of yeah Tim Hortons, mm -hmm. uh, greater em emphasis on hockey. Right. Um, it's not like Quebec, which is which might as well be France. Well, that would be yeah, that's basically French. Yeah, more more French. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, um, you know the, the 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 money was Canadian money. That was <laughs> kind of funny. Like I love I love the scene where you know, like they're raking in the money and you just see the the loonies and toonies falling. Loonies being our one dollar coin and toonie being our two dollar coin. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that was kind of fun to see to see in a movie but like yeah it's just kind of in, in just how normal it all everything looked that kind of just made it more authentically canadian mm -hmm. in a way like you know may, uh, may goes to school wearing a toque when she's worried about her red hair <laughs> you know for, from the the panda transformation it yeah i i think it does a good job but yeah i mean just canada's just a place it's 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 yeah, you know, with with people, it's it's. What'd you think of the story? But, uh, I thought the story was pretty good. Like, yes, as as mentioned, I'm you know I don't you know most of us are not a thirteen year old Chinese Canadian girl going through adolescence with this metaphor, but that's kind of the one of the cool things about cinema is you, you can sort of experience vicariously other perspectives and lives. Mm -hmm. So, like, even though I yeah I've never personally had that experience. Yeah, I can kind of understand in parts what it's like. You know, like having your parents embarrass you at school. I mean, I've, I've never had my mom bring tampons to school, and or sorry, their their pads weren't pads. they? But yeah, you know, like I got, but you know, not not ever having to be a girl and have to deal with that. I can still say that that's probably really, really, really embarrassing. Like, May would probably rather have died than experienced that, or or any of the the sort of the, the tiger mommy things she does mm. at the convenience store with the. With the guy she has a crush on. So you know, it, I actually called my folks and talked to them about that scene. I was like, you know, and I actually said, you know, you two may have screwed up sometimes, but at least thank God you never, you know, brought pads to school or humiliated whoever I had a crush on. And my dad actually said, if we humiliated anyone you had a crush on, you never would have found out about it. Yeah. So so I like that that I you know, I could sort of try and get into her shoes and understand where she's coming from, even though not having those exact experiences, you know. I certainly know a lot about being an adolescent boy, but uh, um, so yeah, I, I thought that wasn't really that much of an issue. I could still follow along with what the issues were and you know and the stakes and and yeah, like, like very early on when it was her hanging out with her friends, I'm like, oh okay, this is definitely 
written, directed by someone who has lived this life. It's it's very similar to sort of Bend It Like Beckham. <laughs> okay. If any of you seen that movie, which is I a have. sort of uh, you know like a, a a first generation immigrant from an Asian country in a Western country sort of struggling between the old world and the new and coming into their own and noticing boys and all that kind of stuff, just with soccer instead of turning into a red panda. Uh, <laughs> I was a little bit confused when they actually had the, when she's trying to hide her transformation and her mom's like, the red flower has bloomed and her dad just freaks out. It's like, okay, so I thought this was like a metaphor for you know, getting your first period, but then her response is, oh, are you having your first period? Oh no, I, I'm turning into a panda. So it's like okay, so so you have the metaphor and the thing it's metaphoring, and you know, like, I'm, I'm kind of like, which, which way is this going here? Right. Uh, but I'm like, okay, I'm, in so case I, the audience I, missed the obvious, we made it obvious. Yeah, there's only so many, so much uh, euphemisms I can. I put I can work in here. I put from soup some super text in your super text, so you can super text while you text. Yeah, yeah, they have not not a lot of subtext there, but. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it's at, at, at its core, it's adolescence, right? May, you know, learning that, you know, she's becoming her own person. She's sort of moving away from her mom, as all teenagers do. And her mom having to do the whole accepting that her daughter is becoming her own person and isn't going to live her life every single way she wants her to and being okay with that. Um, I just got a couple more points in here. Uh, one thing that confused me is uh, her... The, when they explain the origins of the red pa panda transformation, it's like, okay, so you're looking to defend your village from invading armies, and the animal you choose to transform into is a red panda. Yeah. You're like, I've seen red pandas. They're like you know, this long. They're like, you know, a, a big cat size thing. Like, you, you could probably find something a bit more ferocious. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're like honey badgers, and, you know, no. if they lack in size, they make up for in ferocity. Not really. <laughs> no. no. They always seem pretty docile. Uh, but no, no, uh, maybe Sun Yi decided that she needed to distract the Imperial armies with her cuteness. Yeah, I mean, still a like ten foot tall red panda is still something pretty formidable. But still, it's uh, it's kind of a Transformers problem. It's like we're fighting a war here. It's like I know we need to transform into cars. What are the other guys transforming into? Fighter jets, battle tanks, warships. <laughs> you know, it's like, hmm. I wonder who's going to have the higher chance of winning this one. What do we send uh, at them? The Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, any, anyway, that that was just you know me being me, the way my brain works. But uh, mm -hmm. anyway, I, I, I got behind it in the end. Uh, one thing I have to shout out is uh, awesome dad in this mm -hmm. movie. Like I, I love May's dad. He's he's in the background for most of it, but like like the scene where he finds the video of the girls dancing around to Four Town and doing mm -hmm. the panda thing, and he just comes to her. Her room and just says you're like hey this this is kind of cool and she's like yeah but i almost hurt someone's like you know we, we've all got good and darkness in us and part of growing up is learning how to deal with them both like he he came with like the wise words of a parent that she needed right then mm -hmm. plus he makes uh, steam buns and steam buns are amazing so you know my my, my most favorite character by default in, in the film but yeah it's it wasn't a high stakes fate of the world thing um but yeah, I just thought it was a nice story about yeah going through adolescence, realizing yourself with you know the metaphor of red pandas, for for that thing. So yeah, like overall, I liked it. I, I liked the movie just fine. My kids were also it was like it was nice. We had a good time mm -hmm. watching it. Um, it did not have quite the staying power for me or the emotional resonance of Soul or Onward. 
Yeah, um, not that category, but yeah, it, it felt it felt very Luca to me, uh, from what I remember of that movie. Um, I I like a story, you know, that's about a young person starting to you know try on different hats and differentiate themselves from their parents. That's ultimately what Turning Red is about. It's about this girl who um, is trying to find her way out of the family and her own identity. Um, I think people are very much caught up in the period metaphor. That's certainly something that we have to readdress and talk about because there's been a, there's a bit of a Twitter backlash about it, uh, as there is with all things now. It's there's a Twitter backlash about everything. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go because ahead. heaven forbid people talk about what is a totally normal part of a woman's reproductive system. No. It only affects all... about half the population. No, people. All women are dirty, and they're dirty because of their periods. Dirty and impure. Now, listen. Um, <laughs> that, that's Mark Radulich at Radulich and, <laughs> um, uh, and stay tuned for the next podcast I do with my 11 year old daughter um, so well, what did she think of the movie actually I was kind of surprised you didn't want to bring her on for a guest yeah, she's asleep um, but she uh, neither one of them were moved as they have been in the past with other uh, movies that we've talked about they they thought it was nice. They enjoyed the time that we spent watching it, but and she liked it a little bit more because she could identify with the girl more so than my son could. Um, my son was like, the best part of this is the kaiju fight at the end. And I'm like, spoken like a true eight-year-old boy. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that's a totally fair like assessment. Son. <laughs> yeah, totally fair assessment for an eight-year-old boy for that. Thank movie. you, David. Yeah. Um, but you know, but my that daughter will probably really... that will probably be his assessment of this movie in 20 years because he's your <laughs> son. <laughs> hey, when I was 12, I was railing against the massive injustice that Batman Forever did not win Best Picture at the Oscars. Ugh. Anyway, I just want to say, and then I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Robert. Um, you know, I want to go back to the line I said before about like this feel, feels like another episode of the Pixar show. You know, Pixar kind of finds a through thread, you know, a theme. And they kind of write around, the, and they then they create a gimmick. It's like first theme, then gimmick to talk about that theme, and then they write a story around both of those things. That is sort of the winning formula. It sometimes works better than others. Um, and for me, this was again, this felt like Luca. This felt um, of the last like four or five of these. You know, like Coco was stellar, Soul was stellar, mm-hmm. um, Onward was better than good but not stellar and then like i said luca and turning red for were about the same for me and they were both about average uh you know you brought up ratatouille ratatouille is fantastic but it definitely also feels like high end of the pixar you know the the pixar show and i it's it's so it's a nice well-told easily relatable story i don't think you have to be a 13 year old girl to get it we've all gone through adolescence we've all you know in some way, shape, or form, try to differentiate ourselves from our parents and rebel. We've had parents who, to one degree or another, um, intercede in our lives, and you know, and then we buck against that. And that's all in this movie, and it was all represented fairly well. I don't, I can't recall off the top of my head too many issues with the craft or story. Um, it just, you know. <sighs> When we get the cheaper by the dozen, you know, Robert and I were talking about how they just seem to be making. There was a conversation that took place between Robert and I years ago, and we re, and we talked about it off air last night about how we don't like to do television. Television tends to be um, written for the lowest common denominator for the widest audience, and it's not really worth my time, and it's not worth Robert's time. And then peak television happens, you know, Sopranos, Oz, The Wire, The Shield, 
And it's like, okay, well, so there's a segment of television that's really written at a high end, and in many cases written better than most movies. But the rest of it is just trash. And I would not call Turning Red trash, but it definitely feels like on the end of sort of disposable television fare, you know? Could I have lit, you know, there, there are, there are event pictures within the Pixar library. You must go see this thing. It'll change your life. And then there's a movie I could have, I could, I could see or not see it. It doesn't really matter. And that's kind of what I, my takeaway from turning red was, it was a nice movie. It was a lovely movie. I think it was fairly well written. I don't remember having a tremendous amount of plot and craft issues, but it also felt somewhat disposable. Um, I could give or take it. What did you I'd think? Say it was refreshing, but good. Is sort of what I'd say. Like it was, yeah. nice, it was different, but good. Maybe not great, but I wouldn't good. even say it was that different. You know, I, I there are, you know, any number of stories dealing with the same exact issue, some better, some worse. I so for me, like I said, it's kind of kind of average, um, just average done well, I guess. What did you think, Robert? Uh, this movie failed utterly to reach me on anything approximating an emotional level. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's me or the film or whatnot or what you know where the where where the reality of that lies, I couldn't tell you how far we have to break that down. But it didn't. Uh, that said, it's a well-made movie. The animation is really nice. There's some beautiful texturing and layering. There's way too many people who got hung up on the mouths in this thing. <laughs> oh yeah, they, it did remind me a lot of Ardman animation, the big teeth. Yeah, that. Yeah, and the cat start style with the bean-shaped mouths. Yeah, yeah. But, but and, by the way, Ardman animation is amazing. Like that. Was oh, of course. Result. Yeah, just just to clarify that for for the world. Yeah, again, that was the thing that was brought up as people kind of going, you know, the bean-shaped mouths are kind of lazy. And <laughs> don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they aren't. I'm saying if you look at some of the shots from this movie and that's your takeaway, you are not looking at the right things. It is overused. No, hundred percent. Like, I'm not here defending the bean mouths as a general rule. I'm here saying if you looked at this movie and went, "Boy, that's lazy," and didn't look at the layering that went in, and the light sourcing, and the shadowing, and the shading, and again the texture effects that they got, like you completely missed the forest for the one tree there, buddy. <laughs> so that's all really good. I, it took me a while to realize one of my problems with the craft of this thing. Okay. Um, this movie is set, has been mentioned in 2002. And yet no one sounds like they're in 2002. Everyone talks like they're from now. I will admit, and, I don't think 2002 girls were saying OMG. I think that's more of a modern yeah. thing. Yeah, but... you know, no one talked about being on the grind there's a bunch of these just like idiosyncratic linguistic ticks that, that that change over time because language does but if you write if you're writing a period piece you have to then understand the language that was used and so having people set in 2002 talk like they're from 20 years in the future it was a bit i think it caused a pretty massive disconnect in my head so i i do think that's an issue of the that goes to the craft of this thing um the bit at the end with the kaiju panda (laughs) i'm gonna say this as charitably as i can that feels like a studio note 
like, like that, they, like they didn't have an ending or they didn't have an ending with it with they, a wow factor. They and they were like, you got to have a yeah. fight scene or something. You, you got to have something that makes this pop. So, hey, 20 foot panda. Mm hmm. Like, I did that's what like it the thing like between that. May and her father, though, when her mom shows up as the giant panda, he's like, I told you she was big. And she's like, that's not like, that's what you meant by big. That was funny. Yeah, how does that explain the small scratch on her on her grandmother's <laughs> side? <laughs> the, look, yeah, just are, like, yeah, these, these are, are not to scale. There are some <laughs> funny gags in this thing. Um, I mean, we mentioned it before, but when May initially says, yeah, I guess I'm having my first period, her parents reaction to it. Because her mother goes, it's happening, and the dad immediately just panics and like spills everything he's doing in the kitchen and runs out of the house, <laughs> like, which is the appropriate reaction to your children turning into teenagers. <laughs> like, we were all teenagers; they suck. Uh, I'm with you, David, in that I like the dad character. He was treated as a legitimate character, and I'm going to fix my mic, my uh, camera in a Video, second. Yeah. Uh, he was treated as a legitimate character. He was not just a henpecked, mopey guy in the background. He contributed yeah, he, things. He, he had was a also not view. a dope, which was nice. Yeah, yeah, they gave him some respect. He wasn't featured prominently because it's mostly a story about mom and daughter. But it was right. nice that dad dad had his moment to shine. Yeah. Again, I did he, like the post credit scene with him dancing. Again, yeah. very cute. Yeah, mm -hmm. he, he was treated with, again, the respect to do a legitimate character. More on that when we talk about the next movie. Um. I'm with you guys. This is fairly mid, like lower mid-tier Pixar for me. It's on par with Luca, and I think which of those two you prefer is largely down to individual, you know, what speaks to you as an individual. Uh, didn't do a whole lot for me emotionally, but it's very well made. It is beautiful. It's mostly well-written. Again, my gripes are relatively minor. I think the only... Uh, I think the last thing I need to say about the writing... There's enough people who are, you know, other than myself, who have looked at this and said this does a good job at, you know, conveying the the issues of, you know, what it feels like to to be butting up against your parents like this. That I'm going to just assume that, you know, my it not connecting with me in any sort of meaningful way is largely about me and not about the not a flaw in quality. So, it's a solid film. Um, I don't know again where it ranks in the Pixar pantheon. Lower mid tier would be where I'd put it, but there's a better, little bit. It's of better than Cars Two and The Good Dinosaur. Yes, well, I'm not. <laughs> everything is better than those two movies. I'm not sure about The Good Dinosaur, but I haven't rewatched that either. So, okay, he, you know, if you want to have that conversation, I think we have a little bit of time for it. The Good Dinosaur looked nicer than this movie. When we reviewed it, Robert, you'll remember the photorealism in The Good Dinosaur was up there with like Moana. It looked absolutely gorgeous where and, and that and it might just be because you're talking about a cityscape as, as opposed to landscapes. Um, and so one lends itself to look prettier than the other, even if it's the same quality. And that to me is the only thing that makes The Good Dinosaur better than turning red. I, uh, you I, remember well, again, we we had a lot of problems with with the, the good dinosaur. I, I'm, I didn't say that. Look, good dinosaur has plenty of scars. Mm -hmm. um, that said, it, look, in, in the issue of you know full uh, candor, the good dinosaur made me cry. This did not. Mm -hmm. So okay, fair enough. Um, all right, I just want to address this since we we do have time in the craft review before we get into anything else. Uh, Alexis. Uh, the only backlash that I saw was that because this is a children's movie and it talked about periods that children have, 
but apparently we don't ever want to talk about it in this crazy country we live in um or the three of us live in dave lives on mars um okay. i live in the country this is actually this film is actually set in thank you <laughs> long <laughs> side of the country mars. but yeah plus canada is starting to join us in the crazy side of things so fair enough Welcome. we have cookies my my point being like i i'm that seems to be the only thing that I've heard. I don't know how many other like backlashes or problems people have had with this. I know people aren't loving it, but it, it is frustrating that you know you as a writer, as an artist who ha you know who have a vision and a point of view, and you want to talk about things. Universal experiences, which you, which Pixar is typically good at, but God forbid it even approaches. If your film even approaches anything having to do with sex and the puberty process. And, you know, and it's a children's movie, people go apoplectic as if, like, we have to keep it a secret from people. And that's asinine. Like, you know, I don't know how to address this at this point. Jason and I, a little ways back, got into a big discussion um, about putting warnings before movies. And I was okay with it as long as you don't touch the the content of the movie. If you want to throw up a warning that says, we're going to talk about periods. If you can't handle that, please go watch the church channel. Um, but it does seem ridiculous that we even have to do that because some people get this worked up over this kind of thing. And I just want to get just sort of around the horn people's takes on the period Twitter backlash. Not against what you're saying, Mark. Netflix does something similar. Um, for example, I just watched Shrek 2 on Netflix the other day. Mm -hmm. And it says something like, you know, Ray PG for so-and-so one mild drug reference, which I assume mm -hmm. has to be the catnip joke. Because I can't think of any other drug reference in that movie. Mm -hmm. But that's not a bad thing. But yeah, the whole... We still live in a country where feminine women's feminine hygiene products are still taxed heavily, even though it is a completely natural part of our lives. And I'm sick of it. I, I'm is sorry. it like a luxury tax? Like, yeah. uh, well, you don't really need these things. Is that is that what the implication you're you're, you're driving at? More or less. Oh, yeah, the things that wow, it does suck women to be a woman. need once a month. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, majority of lawmakers, or mostly men, mm -hmm. uh, all, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no way, there's no other way around it. I, I don't want to go off the feminist wagon here, but it's like, no, sorry. You're, 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 stating you're, the truth is not a controversial statement. You're, look, you're not complaining uh, about not getting paid. You can talk about this. It's fine. I won't cut you off. Oh, it, thank it, you so much. <laughs> I'm not getting paid either. No, not I'm not sorry, David. but there is an, a, okay. It really is disturbing how so many people in this country look at periods and everything. They're like, ew, that's gross. That's disgusting. I mean, I get the idea that when you see the tampon commercials, you make the liquid blue. I get that. Liquid? Why am I just finding this out now? <laughs> I I, that, like, I, I'm family. with you. I think they yeah. should go full oh, Why do women keep on going around pouring blue liquid onto ads? Like, why do they need to do this? <laughs> I don't understand how women's bodies work. Why is everything blue? No, I, I, I love that I, life from Family Guy. You make it blue. You show us whatever you want, but you make it blue. <laughs> no, I agree with Alexis. We should go full carry or The Shining and just blood everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> a woman's period should be like a Gallagher concert. Just, you know, <laughs> sledge <-o> <laughs> 
like I said, it's just annoying because it's a completely <laughs> healthy part of any woman's life, and it is mm-hmm. so annoying. I mean, but again, we also still live in a country that is doing the pink tax. You are familiar with that, Mark? What is the pink tax? In all honesty, right now, I'm just imaging Stanley Kubrick directing a tampon commercial. <laughs> I, I really oh need someone build the, the thing where you slide dimensions because I need to find the one where that happened. <laughs> There's no, there is no reality where Stanley Kubrick <laughs> makes a commercial at all. I agree with Robert on that one, but I still can't Stanley, get that mental image out of my head now. Story. So Stanley Kubrick, who is our lead ad ad, ad rep, uh, what is your what what is your your pitch for this period commercial? Well, I'm thinking blood everywhere, raining blood, and we'll have yeah. Slayer playing in the black rap, background. Maybe something in the 19th century. No, no, not that kind of period. <laughs> oh the, I'm, I, I'm sorry. So, pink tax, pink tax. And the lead I was actor, paying attention. And the lead actress has to wear a mask. <laughs> the pink tax basically taxes. Okay. Products that both men and women use, like razors and things like that, are the pink tax taxes the women's products more, even though it is basically because, again, the men in government tend to think that while they needed to shave their faces, when women shave, it's a luxury. So, and I'm sorry, this is a standard here in the United States, and it is really annoying. And it's just, I wanted. I wanted to stop. I am tired of things that women do being considered ewy. I do find that interesting that somewhere out there there's a debate happening among congressmen going, this is a luxury, this is a necessity, and what and where they land on those things and how idiotic it really is. I would actually be fascinated by that. I would you I would really I, wouldn't. I it's just like I feel like I would come home and feel the need to walk into the woods to live deliberately when it was over, but I kind of oh, want to yeah. be there for it at least once. Um, I swear to God, one of these days, I just want these. I just want the the wives of these congressmen to stop shaving and stop protect using feminine hygiene products and everything, and be like, "Oh, so it's a luxury, so I can go without it." Then right. let's see what happens. You don't mind uh, if I stay in the couch, uh, then that's Jeff, fine. Jeff Fox really put. You ever you ever rub a woman's leg who hasn't shaved in a bit? One direction smooth as a baby, baby's bottom. Other direction severe tire damage. <laughs> Um, so David, do you have any reaction beyond what's been said already to the to the stupid Twitter backlash with the period? I mean, I think we're all on the same page. People need to get lives, but I just curious what, in, what other insights there might be. Twi- How desperate is Twitter getting? Well, like, well, like I mean, the, the, it's the not like Twitter. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You can't blame the you can't blame the social media site. When we say hang Twitter, on, we mean people on, on Twitter. What? Yes. Ted Cruz only does so many stupid things, and Trump's not on Twitter anymore. They got to find something to bitch about. Well, and they don't let you bitch about Biden the way they should, but that's a whole. Oh my God! <laughs> here, look. Here, when I say Twitter again, I don't mean the company Twitter. Thank you. I mean, like, how desperate is the scene on Twitter mm-hmm. where we're trying so desperately to get generate engagement and generate? Uh, because there are people who do this professionally. You have to get engagement. You have to get clicks. You have to get likes, retweets. Again, any form of engagement with whatever crap you put out. That we've gotten to the point. Where we're complaining about a five-minute segment in a Pixar movie about uh, the menstrual cycle. All right, so, this is insanity. So I, I just did a quick Google search. I, I, I googled "turning red parents," 
And the first thing that came up is a Vox article. Yep. John Brodigan, the the previous freak boy, my one one of my few friends from New York. Uh, the last time I addressed a Vox article on social media was a few years ago, and he said, "For shame, sit in the corner and think about what you've done." But He's for the sake correct. of brevity and time, I'm going to read from Vox. Please forgive me. Pixar's turning red is an unlikely culture war battleground. Turning red's biggest offense may be that it's just unapologetic weirdness. Uh, what makes a controversy? In the case of Turning Red's Pixar's... Uh, the answer to that question is Vox. <laughs> delightful new film about a Toronto teenager discovers that she can turn into a huge red panda. It seems no one can make up their minds, but the quest to pick an objection, any objection to this quirky little movie, might have conscripted Turning Red into a larger, ongoing conversation about parents, kids, and <sighs> the culture war. The vast Everything majority... Everything is the culture war. Everything, Everything. is the culture war. Um, the vast majority of the film's audience seems to adore its main character, uh, with her proud fanish hobbies and her loyal geek squad friends, and they've been loudly celebrating Turning Red's unique elements. In its early 2000s Toronto setting, its celebration of teenage girlhood, and especially its thoughtful depiction of a child grappling with the complicated issues of family, community, and repressed history. But the buzz around the movie these days is it's Mar <clears throat> since its March 11th release has been tinged with drama and might well give you the impression that Turning Red is Pixar's most controversial film since maybe ever. While that's probably not true, the dust-up around Turning Red keeps gaining attention and going viral, maybe less because lots of people are mad than because the things a few people are mad about are just kind of weird. The controversies, such as they are, range from claims that this film isn't relatable... Really? This film isn't relatable to insistent discomfort with the depiction of a young woman in puberty and a child having autonomy and the very reality of, yes, sometimes cringeworthy 13-year-old girls. All right, I'm going to stop right there, David. Just what stop. Yeah. yeah. I think the problem is that fifth-tier online newspapers that have, not, that have hired people who have no journalistic qualifications straight out of college are trying to generate content. Okay, there is a legitimate. Hey, hang on, there is a legitimate. A... Let me say this because I All don't right. want to be unfair to the people who legitimately don't like this movie. Their opinion of the movie may be stupid, but like we're, I this is almost sound sounding like you guys don't think they exist, and I'm like, clearly they do. I just don't think that this is like a national matter of importance in the world. This is like a handful of, course of people not. on Twitter. Okay, no, look, I, if it, you work for if you work for any sort of publication. Mm whose name starts with a V, you have radically messed up your life. <laughs> Gee, what else are you talking about, Variety? I mean, Robert. Um, Any no. number of them. I don't care what they are. So there's a variety of these publications. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. But I'm bump. Yeah. I just... I, okay, I don't get the soundboard. All right, fine. <laughs> I, I, my hands are folded. Um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, where's Pinkie Pie when we need her? I think... I think there's two ways to look at this. One, yes, if you would like to kind of hit the low-hanging fruit, and I don't mean that in an insulting way, but if you want to hit the low-hanging fruit of this is a controversy for the sake of clicks and controversy that there really is nothing here, I think that dismisses the legitimate claims of people who are like, I don't watch my, want to watch my I don't want to let my kid watch stuff about icky puberty. There's a time and a place for that. I'm the parent and I'll decide. We have a, I don't want to get off on a really ridiculous tangent because I don't know that much about it, but I mean, we have a situation going on here in Florida where they're trying to pass a law that says don't say gay in school because parents object, some parents object here in Florida, and I'm sure elsewhere around the world, to teachers in the school system addressing 
the subject of homosexuality, the LGBTQI community in school. Well, uh, in fairness to that bill, it's also third grade and below. Um, yeah. And so, and the contention is I, the parent, will decide what, you know, non-necessary school things my children should be exposed to, not you. I, the parent, should be in charge of that thing. And that is what they're trying to do with the bill. I'm not getting into the subtext of it where it's really just repression, but that's a whole other thing. My point is, speaking for speaking up for these parents, and I feel like I'm going to be the only one on this panel that will, they're looking at this thing and saying, hey, 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 I just wanted to put on a nice 90-minute child feature to distract my kids for a little while. Don't get into shit I don't feel like talking to them about yet. Well, one, if it, I would say one, like, Kids of that age, they're not going to know what a maxi pad is in the to, first. To place. be clear, I don't feel that way. I put the Wu Tang yeah, 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 plan yeah, in front yeah, of my yeah, kids. Yeah. I, so. I, I realize that <laughs> but I learned like, devil's advocate. You know, yeah. like, like when you're like I don't know under the age of ten, I think a lot of that stuff just goes over your head anyway. Sure. You know, like people yeah, listen gonna... to I think we're alone now, and they just think oh, fun song. They don't realize right. it's about premarital sex or right. What, I was going to say, uh, I think any child who watches this movie and doesn't know what a pad is or what a menstrual cycle is, is probably too young to really grasp what well, it is. Hang on. I want to and it's going to go over their head. I want to address that because that happened. So I was at work and I was really annoyed about this because I intended to watch this with my children. They found it on Disney plus of all of mm -hmm. their own. And they started watching it without me while I was at work. And I got a phone call from my wife who said, Hey, your son came screaming out of the bedroom going, I don't understand what's a period. He's almost eight. <laughs> and and you really need to talk to his English teacher. I'm on fire There's Pinkie Pie. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I, will, I will continue to make bad jokes until I am appeased. <laughs> uh. So, Loki. Hey, don't steal my bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So second point that the word that the rating PG stands for parental guidance, as in if you are a parent or in any way concerned about what your child you know, enter is entertainment that your child is shown, you might want to watch this first and make sure that it is okay for them. You know, buy yourself a movie ticket. Go to the so theater first. Expecting parents to parent, David. That's a lot to ask. Uh, hang on. If you're not willing to do the work, don't complain. Because David brought up the fundamentally broken, stupid organization that is the MPAA and its rating system. Yeah, it exists for a reason, and I might take serious issue with some of the implementation and how profoundly stupid and corrupt it is. And there's any number of filmmakers who are happy to talk to you about that if you're so curious. But those do exist. And if you're if you're willing to take the gamble on a PG movie, you reap the whirlwind, guys. Like nine out of ten times, that's probably not going to bite you in the butt. Now your wife has to say to your son, "Oh, it's just some. It's part of a woman's body. Don't worry about it." She had to talk with him about it. She explained what she explained what uh, a period was, and my son went, "Wow, whip girls pee blood, gross!" And then like went about his business <laughs> like a good eight-year-old boy should. Um, yeah. Yeah. Need to okay. remind you guys. They need to remind you guys, Raiders is a Lost Ark and Poltergeist are rated PG as well. Yeah. Are they really? Indeed. Mm -hmm. They they, they came out 
before the PG-13 rating existed. They're okay, pretty much fair. the reason there is a PG. I mean, it. Well, Temple of it, Doom. It, that's more about Temple of Doom than Raiders, but yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say it's not that cut and dry, but you can pretty much thank Steven Spielberg and George Sp Lucas for giving us the PG-13 yeah. rating. Spielberg, Lucas, and uh, the guy who directed Gremlins, because Gremlins to sum, came out. To sum this Gremlins up, PG too. I, I I don't begrudge people complaining that you know you feel like you can trust the, the Pixar brand, and then you see something like Turning Red and there's stuff in it that you as a parent may be uncomfortable with. Again, that's not me and my wife, you know, Wu Tang Clan, um, ain't nothing to fuck with. But there are parents that are not, you know, that that do try to shelter their children as much as possible and are very much wanting to be in control and feeling like I should be able for the for the 10 bucks I'm spending a month on this. I should be able to trust my kids in front of Disney. And then something like this happened. You know, like Christ almighty. I, you know, I can't again, speaking up for these people, I, I can't fe feel comfortable unless I'm constantly reviewing things. And it's like then. You know, and who's got time for that sort of thing? And it's in it. And I made a joke, but it's really easy to say, well, why don't you scan and review everything you throw in front of your children? I don't know if you've ever raised children before, but, you know, and have a job, but like, you know, like you run out of time after a while. I mean, it's not, it's not easy. So I, I, I feel like to, to the professional protesters that took up the banner of this and decided to, you know, march against Disney, those people are assholes and I don't yeah. want to address them. But to the parents who are legitimately like, can we not get a break? Can I not trust anything in this world? I kind of feel for them. That's that's my only point with this. I'll yeah. give you guys really quick, like 10 words or less, and then we're going to move on to uh, the Rotten Tomatoes. Go ahead. Uh yeah, say it's I gonna just... say it's gonna get worse when Lightyear comes out. Supposedly, there's a scene in that with the same sex kiss. Yep, I've heard. <laughs> the horror. Um, <laughs> that was a sarcastic. <gasps> yeah, yeah, I was hoping. It's like, yeah, brace yourself, guys. Uh, <laughs> Yay! Twitter is about oh, to hit the fan. David, do you want to say anything else or, or... Uh, not? Not so much towards the parental thing, but just in general. It's like you know, art is about life and the human experience, and mm -hmm. that's all of the human experience in all of its various facets. So yeah, like if you want to make a movie about periods and adolescents and girls and stuff, like why not? That's a thing, like I say, about half the population. Well, if you want to be a commie Go hippie through. about it, that's fine. But some of us have standards, sir. Yeah, I also um, like to watch movies about people in big spaceships blowing each other up. You know, like, you know, like there's, you know, to each their own. Like, hey, look, I, I like to watch people in big spaceships just blowing each other. We all have our kinks. I'm just saying, you know, it's maybe not everything you have to show your kids. Yeah. Go ahead, Robert, you've been dying to get the yeah, last one. No, no, no. I was talking about show the kids. That was just more like <laughs> in general. I was, I'm just going to say that we all know that Mark has a very specific square footage requirement for the spaceships in those particular. <laughs> you want to get your final word here in, Chucky? Uh, I, I think you did an important thing distinguishing between the parents that might legitimately go, come on. Mm -hmm. And and my, I think it might have a legitimate gripe about you know, things that are foisted on them as parents that they might not have been ready for, or that they don't want their children exposed to necessarily. Mm -hmm. And the morons on Twitter who have nothing better to do with their lives. Like that, those that... are two dis those are two very distinct camps and they do need to be differentiated. Because the morons on Twitter I'm not going to say what I want to say because I don't want to ding the video, but we yeah. said enough when Pepula Pew was supposedly canceled. Indeed. All right, folks, here we go. Um, Robert, I'm going to need you to put it up on screen. I'm going to read off my phone, but can you at least put the score okay. up? Uh, uh, hang on. Here we go with the uh, critical review. 
Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 The critical review from Rotten Tomatoes is brought to you by Grammarly. For you listeners of Damn You Hollywood, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly is a powered product to help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. Do download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. You download Grammarly for free. All right. That as you can see, I got it. It's, it's up. Ignore the ignore the laundry list of tabs open at the top of my screen. Sweet. <laughs> Jesus. How has your computer not crashed? Oh, that's only that's... my second monitor. Yeah, oh I was going to say, that tells you more about Robert's brain than anything he's ever done on any podcast ever. Um, Robert, so, I, can, I, I just got to ask, why so many YouTube? Because I don't clean them as often as I should. This also lets me just tab back and forth between different things when I need them. All right. And at least um, two of those are, thi- are long-running things that just run in the background, and depending on my mood, I choose which one I want. Fair enough. Now that we understand Robert's cute psychosis... Turning Red uh, has a 95% uh, critical score and a 70% rotten, uh, sorry, a 73% audience score. Um, one of the minor news points about that that I was reading was this is my, this might be the biggest audience to critical score split in the entire Pixar canon, which I That's did surprising. find interesting. Um, someone was actually comparing it to Marvel in that sense. Uh, the critical consensus is heartwarming, humorous, beautifully animated, and culturally expansive. Turning Red extends Pixar's long list of family-friendly friendly triumphs. All right. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and pull some of these reviews here. You're we'll wondering, say like, it is great to see a high-level animation that was directed by a woman of color. It is mm-hmm. great to see that kind of stuff finally sure. becoming more accepted. No, No doubt. Uh, Brett McCracken of the Man. Gospel Coalition. Are you so, only looking up? Okay, I mean, I'm looking at everything, but okay. okay yeah, no, I, I've, I've got it up. I've got it up. Okay, cool. Brett McCracken no. of the Gospel oh, Coalition. You oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Hang on. So I can just refresh that. And For all of its merits, the film ultimately advocates a wrongheaded central message under the guise of empowerment. Embrace who you are even your reckless vices and dangerous impulses and don't let anyone stop you. David, what do you think? Hang on. I want to hear from, hear from David real quick because that, that was, I think one of the more legitimate complaints about this is that, you know, this movie encourages kids to um, directly confront their parents. And I thought that was at least that, that was at least up for debate. What did you think? Uh, Well, May never has like an antagonistic relationship with her mom. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, yeah, there's things that her mom does that she doesn't like, mostly her mom being overbearing and publicly embarrassing her. But like, it, it was never screw you, mom. It was just like, mom, look, you just have to accept this is who I am, and I've right. got to be me. And again, May is 13; like, she's going into adolescence, so mm-hmm. it's that time where that happens, right? You know. Uh, you know, good luck. We're all we're all rooting for you, Mark. 
Thanks. You know, you're, you're, you're about to go through. A, I was talking to another parent today. Nine years. So my, my wife and I are in the business of trying to make new friends. And, you know, we're talking to this one couple and the, the, the father and I are, are trying to make a plan. And he's like, yeah, we're only available X, Y, Z times because we have a 13 year old pain in the ass at home. And I <laughs> yeah. snorted. Yeah. And it also kind of goes back to when May loses her temper at the party mm-hmm. and like almost, uh, almost kills. Was it Tyler? Yeah. Yeah. Like, in her defense, Tyler's kind of a jerk. If only she had, you know, that would have been a really sharp left turn content-wise, but I would have cheered. Yeah, this would have become a very, very different movie, but yeah, Robert would have probably loved it. Uh, hey, look, I'm just saying, if you're telling me, if you're selling me a story that's loosely a werewolf analog about, and, and it's titled Turning Red, and not a drop of blood is spilled by the end of it, I'm a little disappointed. Okay, moving on, but you know, her, her father, her father been... there are already enough problems with the blood on the pads. Yeah, yeah, but it's blue. Anyway... <laughs> There we go. <laughs> yeah, but moving on, it's back to the original point. The sequel is turning so blue. Loki. Oh my god, let him finish. <laughs> oh, Loki. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like like when she when her father goes to comfort her, he he says like, you know, you need to learn the responsibility basically saying you need to learn the responsibility that comes with this independence. You know, that, you know, right. you can do good things, but you can also do bad things. And I think that's a very we, valid point is that the film isn't just being, you should, you, you should, you know, to hell with your parents and be who you are. No, 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 no. They are, they are addressing self-actualization and creating your own identity while understanding that you're an asshole kid and you still need parental guidance. And I think the movie did have actually a really good job of, of, uh, of putting that forward, David. Yeah. And also you need to develop personal discipline. Yeah, you know, like you are starting to become responsible for your own actions, so you need to be really careful what you do with your own actions. Okay, so this next one's for for um, the author of our tick bird review phrase. Okay, this is for you, Alexis. You ready? Oh, you I, me. Way, I just want to mention that like Brent McCracken, he's like what from for the gospel connection. So I think that kind of uh, <laughs> gospel coalition coalition immediately I why I read that. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. So I think that kind of explains a bit there. Anyway, moving on. Linda Cook of Our Quad Cities, WHBF-TV, Illinois. Turning Red is pandemonium with humor and heart. Soundboard, soundboard. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I want yeah, to give her a chance to respond. That is very, that is very tick bird. This one's for you, yeah. Robert. I know, you, I know you were like, I wanted to weigh in on the last one, but I got one better. Corey you know. Coleman of Double Toasted. Pixar's bravest movie yet. Oh, get bent. <laughs> Hang on. Was that, was that actually a reference to Brave? Which I think yes. is a, one of the, like, is, there's like, what, two two other Pixar movies with female protagonists? That That's a bring? ridiculous sentiment to claim this movie is Brave. Hey, in our current political climate, in the current political climate, let's just throw everything we can at this thing to make it review proof. And never mind the fact that we're not actually making a movie that appeals to as many people because we've so refined the narrative, the nature of our narrative that we're actually exclusionary rather than somehow managing to make broad based appeal about the human condition out of a robot and a cockroach. Look, look, Turning Red is about, you know, Girls turning into red pandas. Brave is about girls turning into bears. Bears are not red pandas. They're a completely different species. <laughs> I want you to teach me logic, David. All right. Uh, Luke Goodsell of ABC News Australia. 
The studio arguably hasn't produced anything this affecting since the overlooked Brave. Go. Uh, mm. Did somebody not cry through the ending of Toy Story 3? I mean, who the hell watched the end of the, Toy Story 3 and didn't cry? The Everyone did on Earth. Uh, the phrase you're looking for, Robert, is go fuck yourself. Yes, it is, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'm here for you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, you, you, listen to me, you Australian <sighs> piece of shit. I hope bullfrogs infest. I like we're country. doing Mad Libs here. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the bullfrogs infest your country. Fucking Robert's like Robert's like you you miserable adjective, and I'm like bullsack. You know? <laughs> Go ahead. We have to do that. We have to do that one of these times now, just for the record. Go ahead. No, you have. This is not the most affecting thing they've done since Brave. There's at least five movies since Brave more affecting than this one. Bare minimum, you pedantic, pathetic excuse for a film critic. Carson Tamar of Clappercast. You know what? No, he's going to hang his hat on the same. Well, I said arguably. No, empirically. <laughs> Dick Wall. Clappercast. The Rattlerton Broadcasting Network and WGM can't fucking get on this thing, but Clappercast managed to get on. Didn't uh, you get the link I sent you about applying to get on Rotten Tomatoes? I yeah, but if it hasn't changed since the last time I looked at it, we don't meet the criteria just yet. We have to get more listeners. We have to get more subscribers on YouTube at the very least. Yeah. Um, Carson Tamar of Clappercast. Turning red doesn't transcend being a kids' film, but for a kids' film, it is fine. Huh? Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Every now that? and then, Mark, you pick a review of that. I read and it's like, okay, either I'm not as smart as I think I am, or you Per, you purposely pick something that makes my brain hurt. <laughs> I think I'd be par uh, adults will get more out of this film than kids will. Hagen Osborne of Film Inc. Australia. We're back there again, Robert. One of the year's most heartfelt stories. The year just started. It's, it's March. You failed to capitalize the first letter of your sentence. <laughs> I care nothing <laughs> for what you say or do. You know what uh, really you know, helps do that? No apostrophe. That, yeah. You know what this review could really use? I've done that plug already. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Your like operation is not my problem. <laughs> boy, could it? Let's do Amazon Music now. Then, okay. Rip that bandaid off. How about you let me run the podcast there, Shecky? Oh um, come on! I gave you like the perfect setup. It, it would be. It would be a shame. I, to ha I have a structure, and I'm sticking to it. Walter Chaw of Film Freak Central. The problem with a film like Turning Red is that it's largely indistinguishable films by white creators exoticizing Asian culture and characters. Well, oh, someone didn't watch the documentary. Someone oh, you, pal. <laughs> or, 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 or read the written and directed by credit. There's so much. like That is just factually wrong. Good job, you waste of space. Well, we certainly know how much research you put into your reviews. No kidding. Enough to look up how to properly spell exoticizing. That's about it. Jordan Rumi of World of Real. R-E-E-L. Get it? Do you get it? I found that she took a potentially on-paper solid idea and squandered it into semi-plotting and at times derivative plot. Eh? Uh, you were looking at your phone, weren't you? <laughs> One, okay, a couple of things here. One, I'm shocked that a B minus score registers as a splat. That's not usually the cutoff point for that. Second, 
No, because if your argument here is that, hey, the idea is solid, but boy, did it become derivative in execution, the entire idea is derivative if you want to get into it from that perspective. So I don't understand your criticism. Yeah, just, just right was not engaging enough to distract me from my Twitter feed. Speaking of derivative, Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies. Oh, <laughs> really? Who, who I'm bullying on an ongoing basis. Every week. And, and I, I <laughs> look, this is one of those things where Mark cuts out this clip or one, and just tweets it at the guy. So this, this poor guy is like inundated with clips of me yelling at him at how bad his job he is. Wait, For, Richard Roper gave this a negative review? He certainly did, Ollie. For an update of Teen Wolf, it's perfectly great. It's not Kevin perfectly great. I hate you so much, Kevin Carr. <laughs> oh, Lord, do I hate you. It's not perfectly great. And I it's not even Nazis as much as I as much hate Kevin Carr. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, at least Nazis have a point. Um, please, please continue. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that was Mark Radelich at the Radelich Russian. You got the Jewish guy to say that the Nazis at least had a point. The lots, at least the Nazis had a point of view as opposed to Kevin Carr, who was a moon orbiting a planet of nothingness. Oh my god. Uh yeah, look, this is not really an updated Teen Wolf in that particular respect. You clearly haven't seen that movie in any appreciable period length of time. And it's not perfectly great. So, no. Yeah, I'm a, You know what? I think Roper's got a point. Like, I'm just reading his blurb. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with his overall score, but I'd have to, like... That's enough of a nuance to take that he's that we're getting in the blurb that I would have to read the whole thing to really kind of parse it out and i that's not what we do here but suffice to say noting that there's problems with the script and that and that the lead is occasionally more irritating than anything else is not inaccurate no I, that's fine but i don't know if you've met many 13 year old girls they're more irritating than most of us would like them to be so i i'll allow uh, yeah. it um last one and this kind of goes into the into the vox issue from earlier vincent mancini of uprocks that vaunted uh, periodical. I think the panda might be a metaphor. Yeah! <laughs> I really you just throw, Mark? I threw my phone. <laughs> hang on, I'm trying to find it. You Much scrolled past it. To... It was on that same page. Oh, hang on. It's just above your grandfather. Oh, really? Oh my God, Robert. It's didn't back, it wouldn't back up on the page. I, I hit the back button. I'm done. My I'm done with this. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I saw it, and there was a question mark after that. So I think the panda is a metaphor? Question mark. Yes. Oh, how you cute boy you are! <laughs> All right, you, you absolute idiot. <laughs> oh, you're so sharp. Careful, you don't cut yourself. It's a good thing you work for Uproxx and not an actual, you know, institution of. For the literature. record. <laughs> Another another sign that the publication you work for is trash and you've wasted your life. There's Multiple at least X's. more than one X in the name. That's right. There should always be three. That's when you know you got quality. Speaking of no, which. Because um, <laughs> you wrote for one of those, Mark, and I know that you wasted your life at that point in period of time. Yeah, you ain't kidding, Jack. Hey, speaking of triple X, Alexis Haina sells jewelry. Why don't you tell him about it? Well, that was one hell of a segue. <laughs> 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 trying to, trying to open up. 
trying to use up, but he's trying to open up a new market for you, I guess. Um, I've worked one Yowie convention in my life. Thank Ooh. you very much. More getting than a, enough. I'm getting I a very great never again vibe off of that statement. I was across from a girl who was sketching a six foot picture of David Tennant and Matt Smith standing in front of the TARDIS in their underwear. The title of the picture was it's bigger on the inside. I actually want to dock points for the title of that. (laughs) Really? I actually own a couple of her prints. She's an amazing, uh, I think it's pastel. I think it's pa- I think it's pastel on black. I think that's what she uses. Her work's really good. Are you still on Amazon? Because I can't find your page suddenly. I've been having problems with our Amazon shop, unfortunately. Amazon has decreed that uh, apparently a lot of items need perfectly white backgrounds in order to uh, be posted. And many of our items, unfortunately have kind of grayish backgrounds because I, even though I use a white background, I manipulate the lighting and everything. So I actually need to go through and fix like a lot of my photos to get on there. But yeah, according to this, I, let me double check here. Hang on a second. I I have your Instagram up. That'll do. Go ahead and do your plug. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've still got some stuff up there. It's just being weighed down by everything else all right so yes honeysuckle rose creations we're fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic we make handmade jewelry by upcycling game pieces we're currently getting ready to hit the road here going to be heading to lexington comic and toy fairs this is our first convention of the year very excited cannot wait to get there after that we're going to be working plan at comic-con here in kansas city then off to vision con in springfield of course our shops are fully stocked on etsy and they are available on handmade at amazon even if Uh, Amazon's being kind of a pain in the butt right now to navigate. I will get that figured out as soon as possible and get the items back up there and more available very soon. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Our Twitter page is up there. You can always find new pictures of our products and, of course, pictures of our uh, fuzzy little interns, as I call them, otherwise known as Cleo and Eddie. So, again, if you're in the... Yep, there's Cleo's cameo. (laughs) Uh, that's her approving of the wire wrap necklaces as something green for St. Patrick's Day. Look, looks like that. Is that food look? I didn't know food. <laughs> yeah. No. So, yes, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, if you can't find us on Amazon, go ahead and check us out on uh, Etsy. That is Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. It's a little ways out. The next trivia that's going to be going up is wrestling in a week or so. But after that, your the trivia after that uh, is going to be splitting the difference between Doctor Strange and Fantastic Beasts. It's all going to be about wizards and uh, wizarding, or no, what was it? Wizards and magic. That's what we called it. Yep, we're going to be doing uh, in addition to Doctor Strange, Doctor Fate, Harry Potter, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, World of Warcraft, all that kind of fun stuff. So if anyone wants to, you know, if you want to get jump on the trivia show, um, if you want to knock Dave off his pedestal, because outside of wrestling, Dave's been on every single one of these. He's like, that. that is his uh, podcast now. <laughs> so if anyone uh, wants to uh, be on this Wizards one uh, for the month of, uh, I think the end of April, April. Um, go ahead and contact either Alexis or Jesse. Yeah? 
Yep. Find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Let us know that you want to play. All right. Thank you, Alexis, for coming out and talking about turning red. I will set you free to die in the manner you see fit. Sounds good. I am going to go off, get ready for Lexington, and go get some more pads and tampons. <laughs> and pay extra for it. Naturally. <laughs> Have fun reviewing Executive Meddling, the movie. Oh, Have I've a good night. I'm going to I'm going to nuke this thing for more of it just to be sure. <laughs> All right. Uh so that brings us to our second feature of this double feature double damn you Hollywood cheaper by the dozen a 2022 American family comedy film the remake of the 1950 and 2003 films of the same name which were inspired by the real life Gilbreth family and the semi-autobiographical account of their lives is written in the 1948 novel cheaper by the dozen by frank bunker Gilbreth jr and his sister ernestine Gilbreth carey the film is directed by gail lerner in her feature-length directorial debut that she got paid a dollar fifty to do not not just her feature-length film directorial debut i can't find a single thing this woman has done yeah, they might have. Sure, they, might, they, they might have gotten her out of a homeless shelter. I do um, not jest, and don't call me Shirley. With a script co-written by Kenya Barris and Jennifer Rice Gunzik Henry, uh, produced by Walt Disney Pictures, Cheaper by the Dozen had its world premiere at the El Capitan Theater on March 16, twenty twenty-two, and was released on Disney Plus on March eighteenth. Uh, it received negative reviews from critics, though it received some praise for touching on subjects of blended families and race religions in the most awkward way possible. J like a brief table setting, J David, have you seen any of the Cheaper by the Dozens before? No, this is my first one. Oh, good. Me too. Well, for the sake of the theoretical IP, the 2003 one starring Steve Martin and Bonnie Hunt is really good. Well, I thought it was sequel, so I assumed it was pretty decent. That... That was cool. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I know Father of the Bride got two movies. I didn't know that. that there is a, there is a cheaper by the dozen too. Yes. Okay. Um, the the cheaper by the dozen also, and I have to say this because there's a decent enough chance Pat Mullen watches this. Hillary Duff's in the cheaper by the dozen movie, and you know, I believe he did mention that. Though, though I must say, after I finished this movie and uh, Disney Plus recommended the Steve Martin cheaper by the dozen, as you might also be interested in, mm -hmm. I, cannot, I cannot fault the logic in the algorithm on this one. I almost watched it. I uh, so I watched this as soon as I got home Friday night from the Dominican Republic, and I, you know I watched it while I was updating the W2M network site dot com, and um, and then it, it ends and it goes right into the Steve Martin one. Now at this point it's like midnight, and I'm like I really need to get to bed, but I kind of wanted to watch it to compare it. And I'm like no, I'm sure there's the, no comparing the two other than the, the just the most loosest of structures of both movies. The the conflicts in that movie are so much better. Mm. it's much more organic you have much more talented actors playing off of each other uh if you've seen this and you haven't seen the steve martin one go watch the steve martin one it's actually good i might make a make a uh, opportunity to do that let's get into the plot here plot <laughs> let's get into how the story goes story shut up the baker's oh. are I'm going to mock this thing every step of the way. <laughs> the Bakers are a blended family that began with Paul Baker and his Kate and his wife, Kate, who together had daughters, Ella and Harley, and their adopted son, Haresh, after their friends died in a car accident. Kate eventually divorced Paul, but they remained friends with Kate, acting as an occasional, though slightly inattentive babysitter. Because we just decided to close that chapter in our lives. Sure. <laughs> Zoe married football player Dominic 
Dom Clayton and had daughter Deja and son DJ. Due to Dom's celebrity life, Zoe divorced him and took custody of the kids. Paul met Zoe after because she visited... they just decided to close that chapter of their lives. Paul met... Paul met Zoe after she visited his small restaurant and suggested that he make the entire menu breakfast themed all day. The two eventually got married, expanded the restaurant, renamed it Baker's Breakfast, and had two sets of twins, Luca and Luna and Bronx and Bailey. Dom continues to be active in Deja and DJ's lives, which slightly intimidates Paul, as he was rarely there to begin with. While Deja prepares for her basketball scholarship, DJ feels that he connects with Paul more than Dom and would rather speak with him. Paul gets a meeting with a large company to expand his restaurant. He succeeds and has his family saw sold on shelves. He decides to use the money to move the family from Los Angeles to Calabasas in a bigger house in a gated community. Upon arrival, Zoe begins to feel the effects of racial profiling, especially after meeting her neighbor, Anne. Paul suddenly gets a call informing him that his sister, Rachel, has checked into rehab, forcing him to take in his nephew, Seth, who has a habit of being a thief. Seth bonds with Haresh when he discovers that he is being picked on at the new school. I've got a habit of the felonies. <laughs> you know, just, just a habit. This is a small, small tick I have of stealing. Uh, new school because of his ethnicity and teaches him to defend himself. Deja begins seeing a boy named Chris and sneaks out of the house to see him. Paul finds himself having to travel to look for new places to expand his restaurant. The investors, Melanie and Michelle, also insist on altering some of the business ideals to cut costs. He starts to miss out on being with his family, which is Zoe, as this was the reason she divorced Dom. On DJ's birthday, Paul rushes to get home. During the phone, during the party, things start to get out of hand as DJ changes his look to impress a girl. Harassed I don't and- consider this to be out of hand. <laughs> yeah. Haresh and Seth are suspended from school for a week after starting a fight with kids who bullied Haresh, and Anne profiles Zoe's family for a series of recent break-ins. Upon Paul arriving, Deja reveals that she quit the basketball team and that the entire family has been unhappy since arriving in Calabasas. Dom, feeling that Zoe can no longer handle their kids, announces he wants full custody of Deja and DJ. Harley and Ella accuse Seth of the break-ins after Haresh pointed out that he saw him stealing from the restaurant cash register though he returned it and he angrily leaves. Upon realizing their mistake, the Bakers, Kate and Dom, all go out and find Seth. They apologize and admit that he is part of the family and he rejoins them like you do. Back at home, Paul and Dom discuss their different upbringings. While Paul will never know what it's like to be at a disadvantage. Can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? Sure. Message! Yep. Dom has to understand that being... I'm a black man in a white man's world! Sorry. Dom has to understand that being away from his kids has made him distant and then he needs to be more attentive. Realizing how much his family means to him, Paul breaks his deal with the company so that he can, like you do, so that he can run the restaurant himself. They were the so Bakers, understanding. The Bakers move back to Los Angeles ever. Sorry. and buy a new house while having dinner, or rather breakfast, at the newly named Baker's Dozen Restaurant. Excuse me. Get it? Baker's Dozen Breakfast. My God. Paul reveals, reveals the design of the sauce bottle has changed to reflect the family, Seth included. All right, David, how much did you love Cheaper by the Dozen in 2022? I didn't love it at all, but I didn't hate it at all. It, it, it's just kind of one of those movies that is just so... Oh, I think Jesse just won the podcast. <laughs> Jesse, I will find you. <laughs> it's not hard. He's, he never leaves his house. Except to, except to fondle people's junk around the neighborhood. Yeah, like as Alexis pointed out in the first half, it's basically 
you know, executive notes the movie. It just it it's there. It, it it fills up space. It was made for like you know a bottle of Jack and a pack of cigs. Like it's <laughs> it really did feel like a t a t like a, a, a you know the Disney Channel movie of the week. TV movie of the week, I should say. An yeah. insult to yeah. TV. That's an insult to how good those things used to be. Yeah, like it's like I can't really hate it because it, there's just not enough to hate here. It's not worth the effort. It, it's just yeah, it was overall fairly bland, forgettable. Cash in the, you know the the you know the cast was too big. I understand it's called cheaper by the dozen. So you know we just get the old classic. You know, oh the little kids act like little adults. Isn't that funny? It's like, yeah, I've seen this in like every sitcom ever. Um, and it's never a good idea. Yeah, like it's, uh, I mean, the, the the bits where the film worked is I think when the families actually did more serious family stuff, when it tried to be mm-hmm. funny, it just kind of fell flat. But like, I, I, I love the bit where the dad character goes to like, tuck the twins into bed and like, Oh, you know, it's hard to sleep now. Cause like your room's so far away. Yes. This is a good thing. It means you'll grow up into well-adjusted adults. I, um, I didn't hate the movie. I, it's trash. Don't get me wrong. It's not a well-made movie, but I didn't hate it because I knew that it was going to be cheap, made for TV fair. It is, you know, Disney is sort of leading the charge in disposable content from the book of Boba Fett to this, to home sweet home alone. It's just, they are churning out trash and they are leading the pack. You know, Netflix spends a lot of, and Amazon spend a lot of money to buy some quality, some not so much quality, but they are, they are going to festivals and they are going to places where p- films are featured and they are buying other people's projects, good, bad, or indifferent. Disney. Di- yeah. Disney is, tr- is a factory just churning out streamable content as cheap as they can make it with as many recognizable brands as they can find. I mean, like, and, I think some of the actors are trying. It's just, you know, you yeah, sure. go, like, nobody went into this, like trying like Gabrielle union is a solid actress. He didn't go into this, like, you know, but it's, but it's a paycheck. Zach Braff, same thing. It's like, well, what else am I doing these days? Um, I'm going to say one positive thing about the movie. And, and I understand that, you know, this is so Robert likes to kid me about my having to, you know, plead to him that the plight of the black man is a is a story that resonates and is something to be considered and and thought upon. And Robert's like, please gag me with a spoon. I get it. But I'm going to do that here. Uh- <laughs> How oh, you are gonna regret this? <laughs> if you would like to go get a sandwich, be my guest. But um... no, I'm just telling you, you're gonna okay. regret it. Look, it's done in the most like hackneyed, awkward, ham-fisted way. But I at least Why, like this come from. I at least like the fact that there was a conversation between Dom and Zach and Zach. Braff's it was not a conversation. Part. Don't give it that much dignity. Okay, it was a lecture. Um, I like the fact that they, they took a moment to have a lecture about the differences between um, how black people perceive their perception by the world and how, uh, you know, a white person raising black children would relate to them. And, you know, and there is a debate to be had about that. And there there are almost staunch religious beliefs in, in the sense of, you know, black people believing that white people will never understand their struggle and they don't feel, and they feel like that's a disservice to black children, you know, in a, from a parental role and that only, you know, and that only other black men and black women 
um, can truly impart to them the wisdom they need to suffer the slings and arrows of a world that often works against them. I mean, look, was it addressed, you know, deathly? No, absolutely not. But I at least like the fact that it was said. By the same token, you know, Zach Braff saying, but I love these children. And I've been their father. And no, I will never be able to relate to them as a black man who has suffered. But I don't have to. I relate to them as a father. I impart the wisdom of fatherhood. And that counts for something. Where the movie lacks any real conflict, at least there was that. And it, it was only for a moment. And forgive me for you know, being easily taken in by that, because that is something that appeals to me. That is something I want to talk about. That is something I want to heard talked about. Um, Gabrielle Union is a big nothing in this. She's a, well, she's a very pretty lady and a very nice actress, very talented, but you know, Robert and I talked about this last night privately, how like, she's just the most understanding, most wonderful, most patient woman ever. I mean, and, and she knew how to use a lightsaber in the force immediately. Um, it was like, and her own, the only thing she had to learn was that, you know what? Gosh, darn it. I'm awesome. And as soon as I take off the stupid inhibitor, you put on my neck, I become the most <laughs> overpowered thing in the. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in an attempt to write writers her, have writers have lost the ability to write compelling female characters because they're all worshiping at the altar of feminism. I'm just going to say it. Well, I, think I, I, will, I will, in slight opposition to that, say that you know, when she did have to do everything on her own, she did struggle. Not like hardcore struggle, but you could kind of see that, you know, she's like, I am so done with well, this. Well, here's the thing. I think they're, they're, they're almost afraid to make unlikable women characters, at least in a role that we're supposed to cheer for them. I think that the nuance in writing a character you're supposed to cheer for is they should be, they can be fallible. They should be fallible. They, Therein they lies the dramatic be, there, tension. There and the problem is she's... She's not fallible in this. She's infallible. She's, you know, she's she's perfect. There has to be something that the character overcomes that is purely internal. And usually, mm -hmm. if you're a good writer, that relates to the external conflict going on. Tony Stark has to learn to overcome his hubris and his self-centeredness. And this represents itself as he goes throughout his arc throughout the various movies. It never fully goes away because it's part of his character, but this is what he confronts. And it relates to whatever he happens to be, and they, again, you find a way to make it relevant to whatever he happens to be fighting externally at the time, but the internal struggle is more important in some respects because that's what makes the character relatable. When your character's arc is them coming to the conclusion that, conclusion that you know what, I'm awesome, <laughs> unless you're telling a story about someone who's dealing with deep-seated depression... I don't really think that was her quote-unquote arc, though. She like again, No, like... she doesn't have an arc. She has no. nothing. But Most characters have an arc in this one. I'm speaking generally. Okay, fair at, enough. At the moment, I'm speaking a bit more generally. Like, yeah. that's a terrible way to write a character. Here, you created a character who is understanding of her husband's eccentricities. She tells she is imminently clairvoyant about the future. <laughs> No, honey, I don't think this is a good idea. Okay, well, if you don't think it's a good idea, I won't go through with it because I need your support. Well, I'll support you no matter what. Great, then I'm going to do it. Mark, you're married. I am. How does As that conversation I. really go? Uh, not well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pro, 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 pro advice for all, all, all you, you guys out there who are about to get married or newly married. Uh, your wives like to be uh, seriously like consulted and uh, taken seriously. 
they like to feel like they have, you know, a vote. Yes. You know, and you should give them one. And when, you, and when things do not go your way, but rather the way they predicted, do they let you off with a, but I support you anyway? Or do they rub your face in it just a little? <laughs> oh, bit? no, they rub your face in it. Yeah, not just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm trying to, it's I'm a, trying it's to a be full, least, It's a full on kick in the balls. I'm trying to be at least a little bit diplomatic there. But nope. <laughs> yeah. Anything in the world. Hey, I know I know you you want to do your rant here. Let me let me quick finish. Um, it's cheap disposable trash movie. Um, it has a few moments. There were moments that made me chuckle. There were moments that I was like, okay, I at least like what they're trying to say here. I like what they're pointing at. But overall, I mean, it's it's one of those where if you're not thinking about what you're watching and you're just wanting to kill 90 minutes of your day, it's harmless. But I feel like maybe we should strive for something better than mostly harmless and you know and you know when we create movies but by the same token and we talked about this a million times i really don't want to belabor the point we're in an age now where we have to create so much content it can't all be like quality it's gonna it's there's you know the b movie used to be something that you would find at this you know convenience store or you know in, in a dollar bin you know or in the back of the tower records now there's so much space for B and C and D movies that they, you know, that, I mean, the, 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 um, red letter media guys just did not one, but two videos on the brute on the slew of cheap Bruce Willis movies that are out there. And he's not the only one doing them. I think I read an article today. I actually saw it on Twitter that Nicholas Cage admitted that he did a whole bunch of B movies like to, you know, to pay off debts and to keep his mom yeah. out of a psychiatric institution, um, which I then retweeted to Whitney Seibold. Um, yeah, he had he had all these uh, like tax problems with the IRS. So he right. just, there was a period of years where his policy was, if your check will clear, I will be in your movie. Right. So my point is that like maybe once upon a time when this was a more controlled smaller pond, it has now become an ocean because the infinite shelf that is streaming. Um, and I'm not. I can't. I don't have the energy to get mad at Disney for making garbage. People watch garbage. They will supply garbage. It really does come down to the audience. If the audience rejects stuff like this, you know, and 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 to to that point, what was the highest most watched movie in Netflix history? Red Notice, which was trash. So until we as a community of film watchers at home break the habit of watching trash, they're going to continue to make trash because people will watch it. And after and then once they've watched it, they you know, for lack of a better phrase, they've already got your money. Um, all right, Robert, it is currently, we're currently at one hour and 33 minutes into this podcast. <laughs> I believe you have some things you'd like to share with the class. Sure. Let's start off with this. So here's the only thing positive I'm going to say about this movie. And I want to make sure I say this because it's true. Zach Braff and Gabrielle Union actually have some really kind of adorable chemistry. Agreed. It's the only good thing I can say about this movie, but in the interest of fairness, it's true. I almost would have preferred they not have the kids around. Like <laughs> those, I, I was more interested in what those and how those two played off of each other than anything else. So, when Zach Braff did actually like parenting serious stuff, he was yeah. pretty good. When he did the goofy slapstick stuff, uh, it was pretty pretty he, painful. He definitely handled Ernest very well. And and he tried with the slapstick, like a, mm -hmm. I, I, he was he was giving it his best shot. But yeah, anyway, sorry. Back to you, Robert. 
So I hate this movie, not because of itself, not just because of itself. Flames, flames. <laughs> In another minute or two, you'll be able to see the steam rising off of my head. I hate everything this movie represents. I hate your stupid jokes about how, hey, guess what? Oh, hey, you know, these sneakers I bought my somewhat estranged son. They're clearly worth more than your house, right? Buddy, I know what the L.A. housing market looks like right now. That's a $1.3 million home minimum. The one at the beginning of the movie. Yes. <laughs> Pull your bottom lip over your head and swallow if you think that's funny. You utter, utter waste of space. How dare you diminish the, the entire, the entire uh, profession of writing with your shit. That is terrible. Second, for your overly sanitized, oh, isn't this so relatable bunch of crap. You have, chill, first of all, you have the children that act like adults. This is always the dumbest thing in the world. Always. Don't do it. Never do this. Ever. If that means less child actors get hired, then hey, maybe we should stop foisting a potentially traumatic profession and entire career process and path onto children. Just throwing it out there. Your big relatable thing at the beginning in this multi, again, bare minimum $1.3 million house is these idiot children riding around in safety equipment and one of them spills a bowl of oranges. Isn't this the most relatable thing ever for how children will wreck your house? A single bowl of oranges gets spilled. You pathetic, pathetic, preachy attempt at writing. That's all that is. No, no one agrees with this. No one who has children agrees that this is how they behave. No one with children agrees that this is the that this is terrible. You have created the most sanitized, overly focused, grouped, sterile, banal, vapid, self-absorbed pile of shit imaginable. And then you have the temerity at the end to have your lead character go, I would rather be broke and happy with my family than make lots of money. But they clearly, make lots of money anyway. Clearly, these are already very successful people. If you have a restaurant that survives its first year and a half in operations, guess what percentage of the population of that profession you exist in? Take a guess. It's small. And these disingenuous hack writers who have achieved a degree of success, whether or not they deserve it based on their talent, to then stand here and pontificate about the nature of what makes people happy, and they always resolve that it's not money after you've achieved wild success in the financial field, is, the, again, it's the most disingenuous, insulting, condescending bullshit you could possibly spew out. To say nothing of your ham-fisted, hackneyed, pathetic attempts at handling race relations, because of course you do, because that's all you know how to write. The two writers for this are primarily known for blackish and groanish, and sadly, all this thing did was induce groans. <laughs> you. This is everything wrong with contemporary network television. This is everything wrong with the entire medium and profession of writing. This is damn near everything wrong with the ethos that 
that most entertainment companies operate under. This should be stuck in a grease trap, set on fire, and buried, never to be spoken of again. And with with that, I believe we can go to the Who Doggy, the critical review. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right, the critical review is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. Yes, sir, Rebob. For a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited, head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Make sure you complete the sign-up process for your free unlimited trial. You can stream all you want, all 800 billion zillion songs. You can listen to House of Pain over and over and over again. Hey, you can hang out with me, Robert, Robert, and Jesse tomorrow and review the new Sabaton. And if you like that, you can stream all the Sabaton tanks uh, (laughs) on Amazon Music Unlimited. And you can check out their entire catalog and you can listen to all the tank music. So again, that's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Robert, if you would be so kind as to put the cheaper by the dozen uh, score up on screen again. I have another tab open. For some odd reason on my Chrome, Rotten Tomatoes isn't working. But when I pulled it up on Firefox, it works just fine. So I can read it off my thing. I just want you to put it up on screen. But um, yeah, this... uh, Robert's not alone. It has a 36% tomato meter reading, but a 29% audience score. Still too high. <laughs> well, uh, that rem- that that's fine, but I, you know, it, it's not like it's not like it was like a 36 tomato meter and like a hundred percent audience score or anything like that. No, even people who watch this feel similar to Robert. Uh, cheaper by the dozen adds some modern twist to an oft-adapted story, but fresh laughs are few and far between. Yes, or Rebob. Uh, so let's see who there were 28 reviews here. Let's see if anyone actually liked this thing. Hey, Matt Fowler of IGN Movies. Oh, uh, the updates made to cheaper by the dozen work to better explain how such a large family exists and functions while the episodic chapter book quality of the storytelling serves the big ensemble well. Oh, for the love of. Hang on, don't don't share yet. I need to. Oh God damn it! All right, uh, if you could... uh, I'm just telling it that it can collect ad revenue. Hang on. Okay. A- anything you to say about that one? Refresh before I move on. Okay. Only that if your only possible explanation for a large family is that it's blended, you do not know any Catholics or pe- members of my faith. Peter Martin of everythingbuthorror.com. It's in the latter portions of the film that the family's diversity begins to bear dramatic fruitage. Although still handled lightly, several issues are addressed in a mature manner that reflects modern-day concerns and realities. You so they said the word racism 10 out of 10. You, sir, are just the worst. 
Hey, speaking of the worst, Robert, the future former uh, Mrs. Winfrey, Lola Lamb Chops weighing in. Uh, Tanya Lamb of Lola Lamb Chops at the heart of... This is why we could, This is why you are so wrong about our potential romantic relationship. <laughs> no. At the, maybe you can change her. Maybe you can fix her. At no. the heart of Cheaper by the Dozen is family. No. <laughs> it tackles important topics while weaving in humor and love. It never forgets no. its target audience and remains a family-friendly film. Did she just mis mis misplace one of her Fast and the Furious reviews? Maybe. I assume. <laughs> That's the only thing I can assume about this. Like You just copy and pasted that over and then just did a search and replace for a specific title for like certain keywords like that's all you did here no like the family dynamic is pathetically weak in this movie yeah, not a lot of humor and it doesn't so much tackle important topics as in like just wave at them from across the street the closest we get is having a black man lecture a white man like <laughs> that's not engaging a topic it's not engaging a discussion apologize it's, <laughs> it, it, it's one guy going, you'll never understand. And the other guy goes, yeah, but you're a bad father. Hey, uh, this is actually a rotten review, but I'm going to read it anyway because it's Robert's favorite periodical. Courtney Howard of Variety, uh... top critic. <laughs> the new adaptation's noteworthy commentary on poignant, timely issues is often eclipsed by predictability, superficial character development, and inconsistent pacing. Yeah, also, the record, another 99.9% of the runtime. For the record. I didn't talk about this because I didn't get too deep into the craft, but the pacing on this thing is crap. It is a terrible movie to watch just from how it's structured. No, there is no noteworthy commentary on pointly or timely issues. What the hell is the matter with you? Edward Douglas of The Weekend Warrior. It gets corny at times, but it's also frequently cute and even quite charming, so it did eventually grow on me. If that, What you're worried about growing on you is the fungus on your brain if you gave this a fresh review. Kate Sanchez of, but why though? Good question. <laughs> a geek community. I got a community for you. Yeah, I got it. it's in my shorts. <laughs> community by the <laughs> community by the dozen is a fine and charming family film that aims for social commentary in some capacity, even with its faults. A lot of jokes and a pretty stellar leading couple. Okay, the jokes have to land for you to consider them jokes, right? I'm not, I'm not going crazy. These have to actually be funny. Yes, it helps. And they're not. They're just not. You have a kid at one point after this crappy drag race is discovered. Go, Mom, I was in bed the whole time with about that level of line reading obviousness. <laughs> she, Gabrielle Union then turns to this poor abused child and goes, Kid, you're still wearing all of the safety gear from riding your bike. And he goes, but this is my sleeping helmet. Again, with the director in the back with a giant cue card. Hey, <laughs> no. No. All right. Last one of them. We're going to get out of here. Josh Wilding of comicmovie.com. Zach Braff steals the show alongside Gabriel Union in Cheaper by the Dozen. He does not steal it. It is given to him, and he is not able to hot potato it away fast enough. <laughs> he gets away for effort. A remake that's in equal parts hilarious and heartwarming, all Which while the say none of either. Yeah, but actually, it's a true statement. Just baby, not in the way they were trying to communicate. It's true. All, all while delivering a powerful message alongside plenty of big laughs. It's oh. near perfect family film. You know, I'm gonna go ahead and you, say that maybe sir, people who write not... for comic, maybe people who write for comic book blogs shouldn't review movies. I'm just saying. You do not have a family. 
I'm noticing a common thread in all of these. If you tried, to, if you tried to sit them down and make them watch this, they would leave you. <laughs> yeah, I watched this one on my own. I was going to make my kids watch this with me. And then, like I said, we all got back from DR. And I was like, you know what? I'm doing this because I can't get out of my own way when it comes to podcast structure. Let me just sit and suffer in silence by myself. And, and you so don't want to have to fix the hole in the floor that Jonas is going to pace into it. I meant to say that before with turning red. He he didn't like the first half of it because it was too awkward. Like it was like it was like cr- for him it was like cringeworthy. And I think a lot of it was his reaction to like the May character and, and that stuff. Oh, he's at the prime age for girls are icky. Yeah, you ain't kidding there. All right, folks, that is our our reviews of Turning Red and Cheaper by the Dozen 2022. Uh, please like, comment, and subscribe on our YouTube page. And if you're uh, looking for just a traditional audio, we are on all your podcatchers everywhere, all the time, even on Christmas. So that's Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, anything that you can ever, whatever podcast catcher you're using, we're there. Please subscribe to our feed. Check out all the great content here on W2M Network. Um so just a quick read on a couple of things David is doing in the future. Uh, I think May is all David right all the time. Yeah. But um, Dave will be back this Thursday for Disenchantment Part 4, as will Robert. On April 21st, we will be reviewed. Finally, I, 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 I owed finish? him one. Did you finish? <laughs> did you uh, hang on? Did you finish Disenchantment Part 4? Not yet. Yeah. It's of like three episodes left. Um, it's not over. They're going to okay. squeeze more out of this. I believe you. Um we will be on April 21st. We'll be reviewing Star Trek Lower Deck season one Ooh. on May 3rd. He and allegedly the talk, the Keki guys and Robert and I will be doing another d- split. D- Damn you Hollywood this time for both the animated features bubble, which will be on Netflix and bell, which should be somewhere streaming someplace at some point. Um, allegedly it will be on the internet. Yes. Uh, David, I have you down for Dr. Strange. Yep. I have you down for Downton Abbey. Yep. Uh, first, the on trial for the first one, and then the um, the damn you Hollywood for the second one. Robert, I don't have you down for that. I just have David. But if you wanted to do Downton Abbey too, obviously you're more than welcome. I appreciate the fact that you know me well enough that you don't have to ask that question. And moving on, <laughs> um, he will be on for Picard season two, May nineteenth, and the on trial for Top Gun. Finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Guilty. on May twenty third. And then the last one I'm going to read here, he will be on the Damn You Hollywood for Top Gun Maverick. So that's all the stuff David is doing. Robert Winfrey writes about wrestling and MMA and only some of those things at gunpoint. Yeah, some. (laughs) I cover professional wrestling a few nights a week over at 411mania.com, AW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW's Thursday show, and WWE SmackDown on Friday. Boy, that show's been a slog lately. You, you go quick. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you can find me over in the wrestling zone of 411mania.com. Um, two of those are li- are reports after the fact. I do the live coverage for SmackDown, and I occasionally get press ganged into <laughs> other live coverage. I'm... There's a non... I, I'm dreading the, the possibility of being called for WrestleMania. <laughs> you should join our live stream if you're not. I might. <laughs> I very well might. I also cover mixed martial arts for 411mania.com. Uh, this last week was UFC on ESPN Plus 62. The UFC returned to the O2 Arena in London. Darn good card. 
If you want my full report, it's in the MMA zone. They also, that also features clips of all the finishes that were made that were made available via the various Twitter accounts and whatnot. So if you missed a great spinning back elbow knockout, it's up there, and you should really go check that one out. Uh, I also host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, so if you're interested in my thoughts on mixed martial arts or that sport in general, give it a listen. It's card reviews, card previews, and news of the week, such as there is, depending on the week. So... And uh, wherever you're listening to this particular podcast, you can find me there doing that one. Just plug in the name of that particular, uh, just plug in that name in your search engine and you'll find it. So thank you very much for all of the support that that show gets. Thank you all very much for the support you give this show, including indulging my occasional pro wrestling style rant promos. I appreciate the ability to release the pressure valve on occasion. That movie damaged my creativity. I told Mark this. I'm going to just say it publicly. I watched that sterile, facile, flaccid facsimile of creativity and couldn't write. It actually damaged my ability to do anything. So I, I was so desperate for something after that sanitized, fake, artificial construct of entertainment that I started watching World War II documentaries as an antidote to reinvigorate my connection with the real and what it means to be part of human and the human experience, because all of that is utterly devoid from that soulless, pathetic cash grab. And on that note, <laughs> we, we will be back uh, next week. It'll be Robert and I, we will be doing yet another split. Uh, Damn you Hollywood this time for deep water on uh hulu starring ben affleck and windfall on netflix uh which has been getting some interesting reviews so stay tuned for that until then he's david wright that's robert winfrey i'm mark radledge be well be safe and behave